Welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money in beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. Today, we are welcoming back Sasha Denisov for another episode of the Thrive and Design podcast. Last season, Sasha and I started to talk about top resources A&D sales reps need to succeed, and we are here to continue the conversation. After graduating with her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Interior Design from Syracuse University in 2012, Sasha leaped into a career in the design and construction industry. In her current role at Lutron, Her focus is on driving sales within the home automation market. Based in Toronto, Canada, Sasha works closely with the A&D community, builders, and contractors to offer lighting solutions and luxury residences. In this conversation with Sasha, we will get deeper into insights on sales strategies in the interior design industry. So welcome back to the show, Sasha. Hey, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited. Yes. So what's been new with you and Lutron since the last podcast episode we did together? Well, thankfully, with, um, you know, the pandemic um, easing its grip on society, I've been going out more, seeing clients, architects, designers. Um, It's been definitely a great experience, especially because that, you know, um, one-to-one and face-to-face contact is so important when it comes to sales. Yeah, the pandemic just threw a wrench in all of our plans, but I am glad things are opening up to like, you know, have some sense of normalcy. Um, Some architecture firms I'm finding are still weary of what to do, even though, you know, protocols have loosened, but it's definitely nice to like be out and about and getting in front of people again. So Absolutely. Yeah, so we talked about a lot of good stuff in our last episode together. And for those of you who are listening, you definitely need to listen to part one because Sasha shared some great insights onto how she approaches A&D sales and really like leads with value for all of her customers. So one of the things that we talked about last time was new product launches. We touched on it really quickly. And A lot of interior product manufacturers, they'll have new product launches maybe once a quarter, maybe more. Um, But for you as a sales rep, when your company has a new product launch or even in your previous roles, what does your strategy look like for getting those firms up to date, maybe in their libraries or just presenting information so they know what's hot and new on the market? For sure. Um, I think that I always start with my must-win accounts. My must-win accounts are my top 15 accounts that I'd really like to develop. And at the end of the day are my target audience, which is the luxury client base. Um, And they work on luxury residential projects. So with my top 15, what I usually do is I usually give them a call and let them know that I have a new product um, and that I would love to come in and show it to them. Um, What we're seeing more and more now is with the pandemic, people uh, prefer to to see things through Zoom, right? Because it's more efficient and more effective. 
Um, but what we're seeing is that ultimately, if we are showing a product, we do need the specifier to not only see it in person, but because it's such a, a tactile experience to actually touch it, to see it next to other samples. So I would say with the top 15 designers that, that I'm trying to target and really develop my relationships with, um, what I do is I initially start with a phone call because um, you know I, I'm sure that they get hundreds of emails every day from different reps. So really uh, being able to differentiate myself and just ask them how they're doing, you know, how their lives are going. If they're even in the office is usually my first step. Um, and then uh, since I do have uh, many more accounts to look, look after um, other than the 15 accounts, um, I probably have another 100 accounts where my primary um, reach out method is an email. Right. So again, you know, back to, I know we've spoken about this in the past, but you know, 80, 20, 20% is really when it comes to uh, when we're talking about um, the, the clients that uh, bring in the most business while the 80% is again, qualitative, still very, very good. Uh, but I would say that um, there's less focus on these accounts because I know that in the long term they, they will, they will bring less sales. Yeah, and that's important, 80-20. And I remember earlier on in my sales career, one of my managers told me this, and I had no idea what they were talking about. I'm like, 80-20, like, why are you telling me <laughs> these numbers? But it makes a lot of sense now in terms of, like, if you have um, 100 accounts for ease of math, 20 of those accounts, you're going to give the most attention, cultivate the most, and likely are going to bring in most of your business, right? And that other 80%, you get, you still give attention to, you still update them on what's new, um, but they're not the main focus of how you're approaching, you know, telling them about the new product launches and cultivating those relationships, right? Absolutely. Right. So for you, um, when you had these new product launches, and I know this runs true for many manufacturers, designers aren't always looking for those products at the time that you're introducing them. So how do you keep those new products top of mind for them, even if they're not in the search for, for them at the moment? I think that my approach is uh, less focused on product and more focused on uh, keeping myself as the manufacturer top of mind. And I do this through uh, many different ways. So absolutely, once my company launches a product, you know, th that that's top of mind, right? That needs to be seen. Um, what I do is, you know, once I reach out, once I, I do make that phone call, if I uh, wasn't successful in scheduling a meeting, um, what I do is within my calendar, I usually um, do a follow-up and a reminder for myself after three weeks to reach out to this designer again. Now, um, after this three to four week time period, I try not to introduce them to the same product that I've already talked to them about. Um, I try to approach it either from a different angle, um, and I'll give you a couple of examples of what I've done is um, we, we definitely, within our organization, we follow uh, different uh, specifier publications, right? And through those publications, we actually find very interesting articles that relate to either what the designer is doing, the industry, how home automation plays a very, very big part in that, 
and we send them these articles, right? And and just with a short with a short email saying, you know, saw this, thought of you. Maybe it reminds you of you know a previous conversation that you've had with the designer. Um, so again, it's I think it's about staying top of mind through different avenues. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody likes being sold to. I'm a salesperson, and when I feel a salesperson approaching me, I, I just I <laughs> right, I'm definitely not into it, and and I see through all their little tactics. Um, so I think that approaching the customer every again, depending on your industry and depending what you do, three to four weeks. Um, in different ways, approaching them with different topics. Obviously, everything should be something that they will find value in is the best way of uh, staying top of mind, even if they're currently not working on something that can use your product. Maybe, you know, down the line they will be. Um, and I think it's it's more about that, you know, those soft skills and that relationship that you're developing, which will make them think of you in the future rather than your product. Right. I love that. It's all about really adding value in every connection that you have with those clients. I love that. And another thing that you talked about in our last conversation was different schools of thoughts and how you can approach sales. And you mentioned like consultative selling and then also coming into a presentation prepared um, and how you've seen success with the approach of like coming in prepared and knowing the customer, knowing the client, what they're working on, what their needs are, how your product and how you too can fit within um, the needs that they have for their project or what they're looking to do, right? So what are some ways that you really research your clients? I know you just said something about the articles that you might read, but what are some ways that you research a client's needs so that you're able to like come into those meetings prepared to position yourself in the products that you represent. So definitely what, you know, what we do whenever we're approaching a new client um, and as simple as this sounds, my biggest resource is social media. Mm -hmm. And not only do I have, uh, you know, Lutron Toronto account, which is my corporate account for Toronto, I also have my own personal account, which is my, you know, my, my Sasha Denisov account, which I use for my personal day to day. And with my personal account, what I do is I just, as I said, I, I follow um, just my top specifiers. I see where they're traveling, what they're doing. I actually follow not only their corporate accounts, but their personal accounts as well. Um, just to understand what they're, you know, what activities they're engaging with, where are they traveling, if there are really any, any uh, touch points that I can, you know, speak about later on. So it's not only about really looking at their website and looking at the projects that they're working on, although that can be a wealth of information. Um, you know, you, you have to, I think, dig deeper on people and especially when it comes to forming relationships. Um, I think, you know, with, um, with many people, they think that when it comes to sales, it's just about, you know, how well you can speak to people. But at the end of the day, what sales is, it's a process and it's a cycle. From what we're, from what we see, it's, it's really a lot of that research that has to be done beforehand. And I think in this day and age, when everybody has a social media account, that the best way to connect with people and really understand what they're doing and what their style is, is through what they personally post, right? All of this is public information. Um, so I would say that that is 
the, the biggest, most important way that I come across um, information about my clients. Yeah, and I love that. I know when I um, first started with Laminart years ago, when I signed the paperwork for, you know, accepting a job offer, a part of that was the like manual, like employee handbook or something like that. And a part of it said, I remember clearly it's saying like no use of social media during work hours. And it went into this like full explanation of why they were against it, whatever. And since then, you know, it's been like 10 years and all of these manufacturers have shifted to realize like the value in social media, like people aren't just using it. Well, hopefully not using it to just waste their days away, right? There's value in understanding your clients, understanding their needs, desires, and interests, and um, using that information, like you said, as a way to build relationships with people. So I hope like as the years go on and as like our generation becomes leaders, we can continue to like leverage not only social media, but whatever other platforms come about to, to use as sales tools. So I'm glad you brought that up. For sure. And I think, uh, you know, another um, great, um, basically like outlet that we use is LinkedIn as Mm -hmm. well. So not only connecting with people on a social level, but on a professional level as well, especially, you know, when, when they do post um, regarding their awards um, or really, you know, projects that are important to them. That's another way that you can reach out and, you know, in, in a more professional manner, you know, say that they're doing a great job, you know, that, that you really enjoyed whatever it is that they posted if it was an article. So I think, you know, um, also approaching the client through these different social media streams is important um, to, you know, still have that professional side, but also, you know, understand more about their lives um, and, you know, have a deeper look into, into their personalities. Yeah. And another thing that just came to my mind too, is like, in order to have this personal touch that we're talking about right now, you also have to have a manageable amount of accounts. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, I've worked in places where I've had like 1500 to 2000 accounts assigned to me. And so the 80, 20 role is still like (laughs) a ridiculous amount of accounts. So you start to feel overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, how am I going to research all of this? How am I going to take in all of this information and then succeed? As a salesperson, whether that be relationship building or, you know, the sales goals that you have to meet. So on the manufacturer side and the leadership side, as we are like sharing this information that they make sure that they break down the accounts into manageable chunks so that people can be successful. Absolutely. And we talk about this all the time on our end too, right? It's about being reactive rather than uh, it's about being proactive rather than reactive. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, let me let me correct myself there, right? Because at the end of the day, as a if you want to be a successful salesperson, you have to be proactive. You have to reach out. You can't just wait for um, the you know X company to reach out to you with questions. So absolutely, having a manageable list is very important for for your success um, long term. Yeah. Another thing that we talked about last time was your sales team book club. So I'd love to know what you guys are currently reading and if there are any strategies that you've taken in recently that she started to implement. 
the book that we're currently reading right now, and, you know, we've gone, like, um, our team has gone back and forth with, you know, what we should read about, what's going to add value to our lives. And we landed on a book called 101 Things I Learned in Architecture School by Matthew mm-hmm. Frederick. Really, really great book. It's it's a great, uh, basically, it, it's very short. It's very to the point. Um, it has, you know, short descriptions next to like little pictures of exactly what they're talking about. And we chose this book because we thought it was important to understand the language of the specifier. Um, to your point, you know, I, I went to, you and me both, we went to design school, right? So with these concepts, um, I can relate to it a lot more than some of my colleagues can uh, because, you know, they went to school for business or, you know, they were just like in under, other industries before this. So we we thought that not only was it important to like look at sales strategies, we also thought that it would be just as important to take a deeper dive on the specifier, you know, wh- what their language is, especially when we're talking to them, right? If they do bring up a term that, you know, we're not familiar with, we thought that maybe this book would help us familiarize ourselves with these terms, with these concepts. Just, I think overall, um, what we learned is, you know, how the specifier thinks and what their overall process is. And I think that it has helped us a lot. So as much as we love, you know, learning about like sales strategies, we also think that, you know, basically taking a deeper dive into the specifier and their world is just as important in order to have these um, effective conversations with them. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because, you know, on the manufacturer side with sales reps, they do come from all different backgrounds. And for me and you, with the design background, when people are talking in different terminologies, it's like, it makes sense to us. It's like, that's our common sense because that's our educational background. And it honestly didn't even really click for me that that wasn't, that a lot of things in the design world weren't common sense until I talked to somebody that was a sales rep from a different industry. And they're like, what are you talking about, Nicole? Like what? (laughs) Like even down to like a scale versus, um, I don't know, customer's own material when it comes to textile, like a COM or there's so many words in our glossary as a, as a designer that don't come automatically. So that's a really interesting read that you guys have and it's definitely good for people that don't come from the design industry. Um, Absolutely. And it was such a great like blast to the past, right? Yeah. Because Especially one of the first, um, one of the first pages, because, you know, it, it, it starts off very, very basic, and then it gets a little more like complex towards the end. Uh, but it talked about just like drawing a line. Yeah. And the correct way to do that is, and then it just took me to, you know, 2008, where we would spend an hour in class just drawing lines on a piece of paper. And I think that was one of the first classes that we did. Um, yeah, do you remember so we- Yes, we drew lines with our rulers. We did free freehand lines, and then we would um, pochet lines in the you know to fill in the the walls of our plans. Right. Like, yeah, there is yeah a whole class <laughs> <laughs> on drawing lines. And, and as then, soon as I saw that, I was right. like, oh. Goodness. And then we had to draw lines with pencil marker. Um, <laughs> all types of things, probably on different types of paper. 
um yeah the the joys of design school but like the basics of it i still draw a line the same way that we that we learned in design school for sure and it was just like you know drawing a line that like first concept or whatever rule number whatever it was like four or five it was you know they went over it so quickly and then you know you like turn to the next page and and i was probably one of the like only people who like stopped and like really like took that in because I, I understand, I understood what it meant. Um, and it's just ultimately, you know, in this small book, like one of one things I learned, it's it's um, a lot of time spent and energy and just like thought, right? Um, it was it was so much like conceptual um, thinking um, during especially those foundation years, mm -hmm. which ultimately in this book, a lot of what this book is, are those concepts, right? So uh, just shows that it it uh, really follows you throughout your entire life. Uh, but it was nice. It was a very, very nice reminder, for yeah. sure. I'm curious to how the book progressed. So as it started on those foundation things that we're so familiar with, how did it, you know, continue in the middle and the end of the book? What were some other things it touched on? Um, a lot of it was about um, just wrapping your mind around space planning, what's important, what's not important, how a space can basically be traveled through in different ways and can achieve different purposes. You know, like drawing a line to um, thinking about, you know, city planning and space planning and how that can completely affect your, um, your, your, your perception. And then ultimately, as the project changes, so many things within within your initial concept will change as well. And I think that, you know, some of the things that I really enjoyed was, you know, talking about like the architect's ego, and, and we, you know, we uh, know this. And I'm sure, you know, anybody who has come across specifiers has has encountered this. Right. Um, and, and it just addresses that and, you know, how always, um, you know, staying grounded is very important and um, how at the end of the day, if your concept evolves, that's just, you know, the evolution of the project. And that's where it was supposed to go. What I got from the book was the really the progression from the design change from the design stage and the conceptual changes to actual ex execution and things that you know may be a little boring to us like egress and you know where where are those exit doors supposed to be um where at the end of the day you know there are just like with sales there are so many like steps that you have to take in order to fulfill all of these requirements and yes with architecture, it's definitely a very creative process, but it's also a process that's guided by uh, very specific rules. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was it was an excellent book. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, and it's a very, very quick read. So okay. um, yeah, yeah. It, it was great. Yeah. And two things that you just said, um, one was like the space planning part of it. And Coming from a manufacturer side, it's very like product focused and it's like, okay, here are the new product launches, here are our sales goals, mm -hmm. get the product spec, right? But sometimes there's this missing piece of like, okay, we are in an overall design that is, has a space plan, that has a concept, that overall is has a goal to make an impact on how people either move through the space, how people experience the space. 
So I would love to see some way that, you know, manufacturers start to incorporate that and how they really fit into the overall space plan and design rather than always, well, in my experience, I always see leading with, you know, product, here's our sales goals, here's our bottom line, here's our ROI, but rather like, okay, how are we going to make an impact on the space or how are we going to really fit into the concept um, that the architect or the designer is really trying to portray what, the, what they're doing. For yeah, sure. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, it's about, you know, looking at the bigger picture and seeing how the client will move and feel in that space. So like, I'm, I'm happy to say about my company that, you know, we do see that, that shift and that shift is so important from product to experience. Um, and, and, and that's what people relate to at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like Nicole, I couldn't agree with you more. Like manufacturers, and we already talked about like the 50 people who are trying to, you know, email this specifier just to like get their product spec. Um, it's, um, it's very product driven and it's not very effective and it's not inspired at the end of the day, right? Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't inspire the specifier. It doesn't motivate them. Um, but when you change the conversation to more of an experience and how somebody feels in a space and how it ultimately um, impacts their behavior, I think it's a very different conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I know that's why I wanted to pursue interior design. I remember when I first like watched HETV, probably in middle school, and that was residential design, but I just loved seeing people see the um their space renovated after and like how their faces would light up and like how they were so excited about, you know, how their lives would be just a little bit better because their personal space was designed. Of better, course. Right. So that's, that's the essence of interior design, like the people and how they will be impacted. So I love that. And I love, we got to touch on that today. So do you have any last words of wisdom for A&D sales reps out there listening today? When it comes to sales, do your research, right? Like no matter what we're talking about here, the number one step is do your research before you reach out to anyone. Um, you have to know your audience. You have to understand what's important to them. First and foremost, um, I would say that's always step number one. And then, you know, I would say moving from there, it's, uh, it's also about follow-up, right? When we are talking about the process. Um, within your own calendars, like make sure that you have uh, a, a follow-up reminder for yourself every three to four weeks. Of course, that can change depending on, um, depending on like what, what your product is. But, you know, and, and when you do follow up, follow up in creative ways, don't just, you know, show people product, think, think outside of the box, you know, again, think about what you've seen through their social media contact, uh, content, what really inspires them, and send them articles, touch base, right? Um, as I said, you know, there, there's something to said about being creative, it's, it's tough work. It's very challenging for sure, but that's what will make you successful. And, you know, ultimately, I would say the third thing that you have to remember is, you know, be yourself and be your own voice. And, you know, nobody likes to be, uh, nobody likes to speak to someone who's just pushing their product. Uh, be genuine. Um, obviously, like know your product inside and out. Know what, what you've discovered about the customer 
And then, you know, try to create conversations that are really natural and inspiring, you know, and, and ultimately, if this isn't something that you yourself are inspired by, then pick something else, right? There's, there's no, there's no like fault in changing either your career or changing the manufacturer that you work with or supplier that you work for, right? At the end of the day, when you love your product, that will show and that's the best selling tool that you have is when you're truly inspired by your own product. Um, it, it will, it will ultimately like you, you will, you will sell it without even having to put in much work. So again, I, I think just to like reiterate, I think the process is very, very important of research and follow-up knowing your product, but also, you know, having the flexibility to be yourself, you know, know what you love um, and, and just, you know, Hopefully those are, those are some ways in which you will be able to be successful long-term. Yes, I love it. So many gems that you shared there t- today, Sasha. So remind people how they can find you online if they'd like to connect. Um, so please do follow me on my corporate in- Instagram. It's um, called Lutron Toronto. And if you would like to connect with me, my personal um, Instagram is underscore Sasha Denisov. And please do also connect with me on LinkedIn. I am happy to help out and answer any questions that you may have moving forward. Oh, yes. So thank you so much, Sasha, for being a guest again on the Driver Design Podcast. We got to share so many great things today, and I'm sure all the listeners will be able to take something away. All right. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveindesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. See you next week. Thank you.